0: Welcome to the Opawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Listen to this prayer of mine, God. Pay attention to what I'm asking. Answer me. You're famous for your answers. Do what's right for me. But don't, please don't haul me into court. Not a person alive would be acquitted there. The enemy hunted me down. He kicked me and stomped me within an inch of my life. He put me in a black hole, buried me like a corpse in that dungeon. I sat there in despair, my spirit draining away, my heart heavy like lead. I remember the old days. I went over all the things you did and have done, pondered the ways you've worked. I stretched out my hands to you as thirsty for, as thirsty for you as a desert thirsty for rain. Hurry with your answer, God. I am nearly at the end of my rope. Don't turn away. Don't ignore me. That would be certain death. If you wake me each morning with the sound of your loving voice, I'll go to sleep each night trusting in you. Point out the road I must travel. I'm all ears, all eyes before you. Save me from my enemies. Save me, God. You're my only hope. Teach me how to live to please you, because you are my God. Lead me by your blessed spirit, into clear and level pastureland. Keep up your reputation, God, give me life. In your justice, get me out of this trouble. In your great love, vanquish my enemies. Make a clean sweep of those who harass me. And why? Because I am your servant. Now, if I take Alan Curry's advice from last week, I've just read the psalm and that's the sermon, we can all go. <laughs> it's interesting when it comes to culture, okay? Anyone lived overseas for a period of time? Okay? Uh, Andrew, put your hand up. <laughs> when you go live overseas, who you are comes into question because you go into a culture that is so different to your own. You know, when I moved to Italy, I thought I was Italian until I actually lived in Italy and realized the culture differences were so astounding that I had to almost relearn how to live in this culture. All the things I'd taken for granted had changed. So I thought I'd share with you some tips and points about culture differences in Italy to help you out this morning if any of you feel like they want to go and live in Italy. With me? First thing I want to share with you. You might have some cops here who have V8 cars, um, but in Italy they have V12 Lamborghinis. That's the way to catch, car, catch anyone speeding, right? Uh, it's quite an interesting thing. You see a Lamborghini with police lights on it, you think, man, they've got a high budget. Wow. But the funny thing is they don't pull you over for speeding in Italy. They just take a photo of you and send that photo with the speeding ticket. Ain't that hysterical? Um, Road rage is condoned only on people who do do not overtake in the overtaking lane. That's something Kiwis are going to have a real problem with when they're driving in Italy. When you're in the overtaking lane, they will harass you like there is no tomorrow unless you get out of the way. And in fact, there's a thing, if someone flashes your lights, their car lights at you from behind, that means get out of the way. And I've seen cars bump into the back of cars who don't get out of the way. It's frightening when you're not used to something like that, right? You see a guy flashing his lights behind you, you think, what's up with him? Next thing you know, (laughs) they want you out of the way. There's also something else that Italians are very particular about. You don't eat in the car. If you want to offend an Italian, eat in the car. We that live with drive throughs and all sorts of things in Italy, you know, there could be a real mess. You go to Rome and Rome can be quite filthy sometimes. You see there's a lot of rubbish around and there's a lot of... But their cars are spotless. They don't eat in their cars. They look after them, I guess. I'm not sure. Pride, I don't know. Um, the number 13 is a lucky number in Italy. Friday the 13th in some places in Italy is celebrated as a, as a day of celebration. It's a lucky day. It's Friday the 17th that's a bit of an issue. I don't know why, but that's the way the Italians think of it. Cues don't exist. If you're standing in line, you won't get served. This is something that for us in our culture... Is very difficult to understand. I took a group of youth um, to Italy. Uh, this would have been in 2008. There was about 30 of us along with parent, a couple of, or few parents that helped me make up some adult numbers. And some of these parents were getting so frustrated they were standing in line to, to buy some bread. And people were just jumping in front of them, cutting them off. Hey, I'm in line here. Hello. Everyone ignored them. <laughs> if you're standing in a queue, you're in trouble. You will never get served. Nutella, which is an Italian invention, is pronounced Nutella, not Nutella. Okay, it's like people coming to New Zealand and start pronouncing things very weirdly, and you correct them, right? Dance. Like dance, or dance, or garage. There's so many different things. It's Nutella. So it's made out of newt not nuts. Exactly. Don't get me started, because I could start with you guys on the pronunciations of things here. They'll just get you going. If you go to an Italian restaurant here and you order chicken parmigiana, it's not Italian. Did you know that? Parmigiana in Italian is actually roasted eggplant uh, that's usually either roasted or fried with a bit of breading. And then there's a tomato sauce, a tomato-based sauce with, with uh, mozzarella that's, that's melted on it. That's parmigiana. If you have a chicken parmigiana, you're going to get chicken with eggplant. So I've had some people who, oh, I'm going to order this chicken parmigiana, yep, and then they get this eggplant and they get a little bit freaked out. Um, Also, pepperoni pizzas are not Italian. It's an American invention, pepperoni. Uh, In fact, uh, if you ask for a pepperoni pizza in Italy, you'll get uh, pizza with uh, capsicum on it because pepperoni means large peppers or Bell peppers. It's not very usual that people would ask for a pepperoni pizza in Italy. So if you know that, and pepperoni itself was actually invented in New York. So just a heads up there, don't ask for pepperoni, ask for salami, you'll go okay. Um, The only meat that is appropriate on pizza is pork. If you go to Italy, uh, you're not going to find lamb or beef or anything like that on your pizza, it was only pork, so it's usually salami or prosciutto and it's usually fresh. So be careful when you order pizzas in Italy, you're not going to get lamb. Also, there's absolutely no fruit on pizza in Italy. <laughs> okay, no fruit. There in some places in Italy, there's it capital punishment if you ask for pineapple on pizza. And the next one, yes, it's not a fruit. <laughs> Don't mess with an Italian and his tomatoes. Tomatoes is the base of everything they eat in Italy, very much so. Uh, they don't just use it for sauces, they use it for entrees, they use it for quite so many things. Mainly because the climate there is great for it, but the Italians just love their tomatoes. And they don't think of it as a fruit. Don't mix cheese and fish. Um, I went to Philadelphia's, which is in, uh, over there in Beckenham. Yeah. <laughs> in the one in Beckenham. And I ordered a... a, a They had a uh, garlic prawn pasta and a creamy sauce Which was really, really nice But they brought cheese to the table And um, you don't mix cheese and fish So they won't do it for you nearly So don't expect them to bring parmesan or any kind of cheese If there's fish It's actually a taboo thing I'm not sure why they get all uptight about it But anyway, that's that Dinner is never before 8pm Okay? If you're at 5 o'clock, 5.30 getting hungry uh, You're still a long way away from dinner Okay, Italians will not even start dinner until well after 8pm. Most of the times, closer to 9. Most of the stores in Italy will close at 8pm, but they also close at lunchtime, from usually from about 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And everything, especially like large cities like Rome, everything dies between 1 and 4, because everyone goes home to have lunch. And then they have their afternoon siesta, and then they go back to work. And they work till 8, and then they come home. So about 8.30, 9 o'clock... This dinner. Cappuccinos are frowned upon following a meal. I know our culture is really into coffee and stuff, but for Italians, cappuccinos only ever in the morning. It's a breakfast coffee. So you don't have cappuccinos after a meal. If you're at someone's place and they offer you coffee, don't ask for cappuccino because they won't make it for you. They'll make you a long black or a short black. Again, just an Italian thing that we get kind of used to. There's also another thing. There's no such thing as coffee to go. You know how we get our little coffees and you know, go around with our little coffee? Italy, no. <laughs> Nobody goes with our little coffees around, you know? So if you walk into a bar, because all the bars, there aren't the bars that you know here, they're coffee bars, and you get your coffee, and it comes in the table with a glass, with a nice, you drink it, and you go. In the morning, it's usually a shot, and any other time you have coffee, you have it in company with people at the place. Which leads me to my next point. Restaurants don't have a to-go option. You can't ask for a doggy bag in Italian restaurants. In fact, that's considered very rude. If you can't eat your meal, you leave it. And I have, I have an American wife who just can't... She abhors the fact of food getting wasted, so it's got to go! And the Italians will refuse. <laughs> it's an interesting concept, especially for us... Westerners who think, hey, you know, you get a large plate, you take it home. Italians think, if you can't eat the food I'm feeding you, you're actually offending me. It's not socially acceptable to get drunk. And this is a very big difference with Western society in Italy. You get a lot of Americans and English and Aussies and and Kiwis too, who go to these pubs and they get sloshed. And you know what? Italians just think you're nuts. That's where we use the n. the n- nuts. We think it's very uncouth. Why? Because you actually look like a fool. If you can't hold your liquor, don't drink it. And that's very strong in Italy, very, very strong. Um, boss, oh, the mother is the boss, by the way. No, no, really, she is the boss. <laughs> the father just works and gives a paycheck to mum. No, Seriously. Mum is in control. And also, mums are blunt, rude, and straight up. That just means they love you more. No, they, they really are. I mean, it, for us that have been raised in kind of Australia, you don't expect mothers to respond this way. I hadn't seen my friend, and my best friend Ed, his mum, they're Italian, they're Bombacci's, so you, you can tell from just the name that they're Italian. She's fully Italian. And she, I mean, we used to live at her place, and I went, when I moved to Italy, I hadn't seen her for five years, and I came back and I put on some weight. And I, you know, I hadn't seen her in five years. And this is, she'd known me from being at home. The first thing she says when she sees me, she goes, Roberto, you're fat. Come, I've got some pasta for you, sit down. <laughs> All in one sentence. So you don't know whether to be loved or... <laughs> but that's the way Italian mums are. They're very much in your face, but They're the boss. They manage the house. They manage the finances. They manage everything. They don't trust men to manage it. That's most probably one of the reasons why. But they do a good job of it. They manage the family. To, they keep the family together. And it's very strong in elite. Unlike some societies which, is very, which are very patriarchal, it's actually very matriarchal. The mother is the one that keeps things together. Men kiss, hug, hold hands. It's a sign of friendship, not homosexuality. This is something that our culture has a hard time understanding. You will go to Rome and men will be holding hands. They'll have their arms around each other. They'll kiss when they see each other. They'll kiss when they leave. They'll hug. They'll cry. It's not a sign of homosexuality. It's like, you know, you go to some places and, and the moment two guys hold their hands, everyone assumes something else. But not for Italians. The kind of love we share with a woman, to a certain point we share with each other why because it's love it's affection we're touchy-feely that's the way we are Too much and not enough rugby. exactly <laughs> well that's where all the kiwis get their touchy feeliness it's playing rugby <laughs> they let it out on the field <laughs> um, speedos are worn by most men at beaches and no one laughs about it yes unfortunately you know they're not used to shorts Now, when I first moved to Italy, um, it was the whole billabongs were kind of big and everyone's wearing board shorts and the whole thing. And I went to the beach wearing my shorts and they're all in their Speedos. And I remember a friend of mine looking at me going, are you going to take them off? I said, I've got nothing underneath this. He goes, what do you mean? You're going to go in the water with your shorts? I'm like, yeah. They thought I was crazy. I'm not going in with Speedos, I'm sorry. (laughs) But that's the way it is. You go to the beaches in Italy, they're all in Speedos. You go to Greece, it's the same thing. There's no such thing as personal bubble space, okay? I've had some people kind of react when I come up to them to give them a hug. They kind of get all, you know what? In Italy, forget about it. If you've got a personal bubble space, pop it before you go to Italy because they will break it whether you like it or not. And because of the fact that they live so close to each other, they do live literally on top... And it's typical of most Latino countries. There was an interesting article in, in the press a few weeks back. I was convinced it was that Christchurch was the third. It said that Christchurch had the worst, third worst traffic in the world. But then when I read it again, it actually said 17th worst. And I could think of easily 17 Latino countries that are just jam-packed with traffic every day of the... And, and you know, they live on top of each other. They literally do you're in an apartment you're facing another apartment block you can hear everything that goes on around you whether there's laughter or crying whether there's an argument whether there's sex whether there's this you know everything and when you walk the streets everybody knows you they know all about you they can't even tell you what you ate the night before it's distressing when you come from a culture where you've got fences up and you've got space between you in Italy that doesn't exist doesn't exist I mean I was born and raised in Australia I came there when I was 17 when I moved to Italy and all of a sudden everyone knew me when I walked the streets in Sydney there was no and it's really difficult when you catch a bus people don't care they just pack you right in and you're sitting in there like this and people will smoke in your face and you tell them stop smoking and I'll say why (laughs) you know there is no personal bubble space everybody is in in everybody's pocket it feels like which is very typically Latin. You find that in Greece as well. You go to Athens, my goodness. Um, it's just Mexico City. Oh, anyway. No bubble space. People will judge you by the way you dress. And this is something that's difficult for us because we dress the way we like. But in Italy, you will be dressed, but you will be judged by the way you dress. The poorest people will make themselves look like a million dollars. Italians are fantastic at appearance. Everybody knows that they'll be poor, but they'll look great. It's the social thing. So, you know, when I show up there, I had, uh, at the time, you know, the the high-top Reeboks were in, and I had those on, I had my billabong shorts and a highlighted pink singlet, and everyone looked at me as like I was an alien that came from Mars. They wouldn't talk to me, they would shun me. Literally. And then my girlfriend at the time had to teach me how to dress or she wouldn't go out with me. They will judge you by the way you dress. You'd be kicked out of a wedding if you're wearing purple. Purple is an unlucky colour for weddings. Engagement parties, birthday parties, you don't wear purple. If you didn't know this, you'd show up to a wedding wearing purple, you'd be in trouble. They will literally kick you out. They won't let you in. <laughs> and one last thing. Never give anyone chrysanthemums as flower gifts. They're reserved only for graves. <laughs> Seriously. Now, I, I just discovered yesterday what a chrysanthemum looks like here. Because you can get those really pretty green ones, you know, in the stores. Because I think they're really pretty. But don't give those to Italians. Because I think, what, you're preparing for my death? I gave some to my wife yesterday Wow (laughs) These are just basic These are the things that I could remember And I can tell you there's so much more When you're picked up from where you're at And you're thrown into a culture That's so different It can be daunting But what do you try to do How is it best to interact with that culture What's the best thing to do learn the new culture right when I first came to New Zealand I was absolutely adamantly convinced that you guys were just like us Aussies oh I'm serious us Aussies oh we're all out we could say it as we see it right no no I think I alienated quite a number of people in the first couple of months I was here some people it's taken a year before they talk to you again I mean, seriously, I didn't realize how big it got. Now, if I imposed myself and I came to New Zealand and I said, this is the way it is, how far will I last in this culture? Would I still be the pastor of this church? <laughs> the truth is, I'd make my life and your life much more difficult, right? We don't like it being imposed upon us with foreigners coming and telling us how to do things. This is the way we are. But as we go out. It's the same thing for us. We need to be aware of the culture. You know God has a culture? Do you know that? Do you know God has a culture? And sometimes we impose our culture on Him. We may not understand why purple is not a nice colour in Italy for weddings but we respect it. And there's some things about God that we don't understand, but we really need to respect. Instead, as Christians, over time and over years, we impose our culture on God. The title of this sermon is How to Argue with God. Because I believe as Christians, we don't know how to properly argue with God because for most of us, we think it's inappropriate. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, The best prayers I've ever heard in our prayer meetings have been those which have been fullest of argument. Sometimes my soul has been fairly melted down when I, where I have listened to the brethren who have come before God feeling the mercy to be really needed and that they must have it. For they first pleaded with God to give it for this reason, and then for a second, and then for a third, and then for a fourth, and a fifth, until they have awakened the fervency of the entire assembly. To do that, you need to understand God's culture. Who is God? Who is God? You see, God wants to know the real you. He wants to know the real you. He wants you to be the real you. What's inside, he wants to hear it. At the same time, he wants you to know the real him. He wants you to know the real God. And so we come to Psalm 143. I'll read the New Living Translation out to you. If you've got a Bible, hop onto it. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me, because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial, for no one is innocent before you. My enemy has chased me, and he has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in the darkness like those in the grave. I'm losing all hope, I'm paralysed with fear I remember the days of old, I ponder all your great works And think about what you have done I lift my hands to you in prayer I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain Then there's that interlude where he kind of stops And then goes on Come quickly Lord and answer me For my depression deepens Don't turn away from me or I will die Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on on a firm footing. For the glory of your name, O Lord, preserve my life. Because of your faithfulness, bring me out of this distress. In your unfailing love, silence all my enemies and destroy all my foes. For I am your servant. That's an edgy psalm. How dare he demands God? Answer me. I want to be heard. How dare he? Does he realize he's talking to God? God will answer him in his own timing God will hear when he chooses to hear does that sound familiar has anyone dared to demand from God but guess what he demands that we demand he demands to hear your heart not sugar coated not subtitled He wants to hear your heart. And the challenge we are faced with, especially for those of us who are older, who have been taught over the years to respect God, and so you don't demand from God. You know, you don't do that. That's not right. God is God. He'll answer when he chooses to. And yet here's David, a man of God, friend of God, demanding. I love the way the message put it, answer me, answer me. This psalm almost sums up the whole book of Psalms. It kind of lays out everything, the honesty, the truth, the rawness, there's a reason why this book is the largest book in the Bible because it really is hard for us to be this way with God. It's really hard for us to kind of let it all out and be straight up. Why? Because over the years we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to kind of, He's God. Yes, He is. But He wants this relationship with you. Don't let your culture change your relationship with God, let his culture change you. Three things I want to share with you this morning. First thing is, I want to be heard and I want to be answered. Who wants to be heard and who wants to be answered? When you pray, do you want to be heard? When you pray, do you want to be answered? So are they requests or demands? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me. When was the last time you prayed that way? When was the last time you spoke to God that way? Hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Answer me. When was the last time you were on your knees praying that? When did you get into an argument with God? You know, I've been married almost 20 years. It's only been the last few months that I'm actually learning how to argue with my wife. (laughs) Okay, I'm a bit thick-headed. Yes. But I realise the more I know how to argue with her, the better our arguments are. (laughs) Hey, that was rocket science, right? But it's true. You want to argue with an Italian, why do I have to wear purple? I'll wear purple whenever I want to. But you know, you're not going to get anywhere with that. The argument's going to fall, isn't it? It's the same with our relationship with God. I've got to tell him how I'm feeling. I'm going to tell him exactly how I'm feeling. Why? Because he wants to hear it. And by the way, you don't think he knows how you feel? You don't think he knows where you're at? Put it to voice. Lord, I want to know what's going on in my life and I need to hear from you now. Lord, listen to my plea. Answer me. Answer me. If you've gone through life without feeling you need to be answered, without feeling I want to be heard. Maybe you're playing it way too safe. And maybe, just maybe, you're not following His will. Because the moment you do, this is going to happen. Hear my prayer. Answer me. If you haven't struggled with this, I want to challenge you this morning. Psalm 62, 8, Oh, people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. Uh, The Living Bible, the Living Translation says this in Psalm 51.6. You deserve honesty from the heart. Yes, utter sincerity and truthfulness. Oh, give me this wisdom. Wow, he's equating this to wisdom, being honest and straight up with God. And then Jesus says this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever thought, why did Jesus actually say that? Why didn't he just keep it in his head? I mean, he knows the outcome, doesn't he? He knows, oh, I'll die and then I'll come back up. The anguish that comes out of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... My God, my God, why have. I mean, it's heart wrenching. Anyone seen the Passion of, of the Christ? Man, that scene, you hear it in Aramaic and you're just like, you wrenched. And he's the Son of God, bearing his heart to his Father in heaven. If we're called to be like Jesus, there are going to be times where we're going to be feeling like that. If we're following God's will in our lives, there are going to be times we're going to be feeling like that. I know our culture tells us to keep it all in. I know our culture tells us to, oh, that's not appropriate. I know our culture wants us to be quite happy in our own little spaces and put the appearance of things that are good. But you know what? God doesn't want you to be living that way. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to be honest with what you're struggling with. He wants you to be honest with what you're, what, what is beating you down, and he wants you to be honest with Him. I want you to be honest with him the second point I want to be heard, I want to be answered, keep me safe come quickly, don't turn away rescue me sometimes, and and look hear me when I say this, sometimes we tend to run to people before we run to God we tend to run to people why? Because it's tangible, we can see them. I'm Italian, I need a hug. You know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. For some of us, it might be running to a professional, a counselor, or a pastor, or a ministry leader, or a mentor. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But they don't replace God in your life. They don't replace God in your life. He should be the first one you go to. Now, he might bring people into your life that will help you. But David, the first thing he does, he's turning to God. Come quickly, God. Don't turn away. There's nothing wrong in praying for protection, personal protection. In fact, it's a must. You know why? Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you had a comfortable life, I'd be worried about that. You know why? Because he might not think anything about actually attacking you. And that, that kind of scares me. If you're being attacked a lot, praise the Lord. <laughs> Satan feels a need to t- attack you. Now that's easy said than done, isn't it? That's why we need to return to this. Come quickly, don't turn away, rescue me. David, a man of God. Now, you know, some of it is our own doing with David. I mean, he created a lot of his own trouble. I mean, he was a sinful man. He made a lot of decisions that were just kind of poor. And he suffered the consequences of it. But there are also other times when he was just following God's will. In the case of Saul, the previous king, this guy wanted to kill him. For what? David's just doing what God had called him to do. And he spent a lot of his time trying to save himself, and a lot of times calling out to God, Rescue me. Pray for your safety. Pray that God will watch over you, watch over the people you're entrusted with. This should be a very important part of our prayer life. Praying for our safety. And the last thing, help me to be more like you. Help me to be more like you. This is the way we should always end our prayers. You lay the demands out. You lay out your heart, but at the end of it, come back to God. Show me, teach me, lead me. Show me, teach me, lead me. This is like a good argument. I'm upset at you. Look at my life. Look at what I'm traveling. It could be not just my personal problems. It could be my kids that are driving me crazy. Or it could be finances. It could be... Just frustration with the way this city is going about, and driving your car, and finally coming around the corner, and the road's closed off, and now you've got to go all the way around. And what was going to turn out to be a five-minute trip is now a twenty-minute trip. And you get to the there finally, and you're really upset and annoyed, and now you've got to get your car checked again because your suspension's gone. And, and, And those insurance companies, my goodness, you know, all I want is an answer. Just give me an answer. And they're not giving you an answer, they're giving you this puppet talk and you get frustrated and you're angry and you're upset. Where do you take your frustrations? Where do you take your anger? Some of you ministry leaders, you've got everything lined up, planned and now things have changed and I know, I mean I don't know, the, I mean I can imagine the frustration of having to realign everything again. And getting angry, like, who do you take your frustrations to? You take it to God. And as you wrestle with Him, the argument turns to show me, teach me, lead me lead me Lord I'm realising it I'm telling you, 20 years of marriage I'm realising that arguments are not turning to they're turning to how can I make it better what what can I do show me teach me and I'm starting to realise that sounds pretty cool actually Because those arguments aren't ending in frustration They're ending in me being selfless And saying you know what I want to make this better I want to be more in a way that's going to help you and help me And you know what I want to be better for God So show me Lord Teach me, lead me It's an important aspect of our Christian walk That we sometimes ignore Always seek for what will honor God. Always seek for what will honor God, because the more you honor Him, the more your life will be focused on Him. I've got some scriptures for you. Help us, O God, of our salvation. Help us for the glory of your name, not so that I might be better. Save us and forgive our sins, not for my benefit, but for the honor of your name since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name lead me and guide me and now Psalm 43 has a bit of meat on it because we can see why he's demanding because you know what, I know you God and I'm not doing this just for myself, I'm doing it for your sake lead me in your way to honour your name to honour your will I'm hampered, I'm hamstrung I need help for the honour of Of your name. You with me? I've never had anyone say no. Either I'm brilliant at talking, or none of you are being really honest with me. Oh, thank you, Francis. Start again from the top? Okay, hang on. Psalm 143. You know, the problem with Psalms is there's so many numbers that they get lost, don't they? Uh, who can rattle off to me Psalm number 52? You're like, ah, oh. They're numbers that get lost. But you know, God put it in there for a reason. You know, Psalm 119, poor Karen last week. I didn't realise I'd given her that big old beast of a psalm. I was just thought, like, oh yeah, Karen, just do 119. I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> And she did brilliantly. And she did brilliantly. But, you know, the message that comes out of it, don't ignore him. And 143 kind of just kind of wraps it all up for us. It's this honest man of God who's demanding, but knowing his situation, honest with where he's at with God, and God hearing him. God honoring that. Don't let your culture shape your relationship with God. Let God's culture shape you. And sometimes that means being blunt You know for many years I was in ministry I was led by the fact that I would do anything for God Anything Refused to own a house because that way I could move easier Drag my kids all the way across the world My wife We didn't collect any bonuses, we just collected debt Because we never had money I took on a, a church planning uh, uh, job and, and we are getting nothing. And that went great. We took on another church planning job and it didn't go so well and I got nothing out of that either. And I remember an old pastor friend of mine, he goes, are you asking God what you need? Why You don't tell God what you need, he knows what I need. I said, Why don't you ask God what you need? And I remember sitting down praying to God and I said, God, I'm tired. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm in my 30s. I've got kids, I've got a wife, I've got nothing. Please, I just want a job that's enough to pay and support my family. I want a steady job, something that I could hold on to for three, four years. And he took us to Southview. A steady place, good job. And I remember praying for this job and just telling the Lord, Lord, I would love for this place to be a place where my kids can grow up and get through school. That I could really bond with the people there. I don't know anyone. I have no family. I have no friends there. And you know, he honored that. I laid on the table and he honors that. What do you need to lay on the table for God? What do you need to be telling him? What do you need to lay out on that table? He will honour that. You want to be heard and you want answers. But remember, always seek for what will honour God.